CAR, CAA, CSRs, URSA, AIP, Part 61, Moz, Part 130, what? God, it gets confusing, doesn't it? As we're transitioning from old to new documents, and some even old to new that have then become newer, it just becomes a minefield of legislation to get through and try and find what you're looking for, especially when you knew where it was earlier. In this episode, I'm going to attempt the impossible and lay out how it all works and the bits you really want to be familiar with and where to go to find it. I'm going to attempt that and more coming right up. So strap in and let's get into it. G'day everyone, welcome to episode 66 of Flight Training Australia podcast. The podcast all about flight training and flying in Australia and beyond. I'm your host Trent Robinson, thank you for joining me. How are you all going? Hope you've had a fantastic week. I've just had a few days off in uh, Cairns, doing a bit of snorkelling with my wife uh, for her birthday, which was just fantastic. Um, nowhere near long enough, but it's all we could manage. And feeling pretty good getting back into the week that is and bringing you this podcast today. There's, um, yeah, lots been going on. Bonza has just got airborne. There's a uh, great reaction. It'll be interesting to see if the model works. Um, for what people are wondering, it's going to be very much more like a uh, holiday to holiday destination kind of location rather than in and out of major hubs. So hopefully uh, it works. Everyone's getting behind it and it could very well uh, really change the way aviation and flying goes uh, throughout the foreseeable future hopefully so let's see what happens there all right we've yeah look where do i start with this one i've I've been talking to a lot of people and obviously from a flight test point of view there's still a lot of uncertainty and confusion about rules and regs and and that is absolutely justified I have been doing this for a long time and I remember when uh, Part 61 came in when we really started this whole transition back in, what was it, September 2014 and kind of felt stupid. You really knew my craft and knew where to go find things and then all of a sudden it was like we just didn't know what we are doing anymore. And since then there's been a lot more change. Part 61 has come out, it's been established, everyone got the hang of that, then Part 91... 119, 121, 135, all these new bits and pieces, and not just for us, but for engineering, uh, for aerodrome guidance, for doctors, damies, um, everything is gradually rolling over to the new system, which is just like uh, is used more in ICAO standard overseas. So there's nothing wrong with that, but it's the way things have moved and changed and the lack of, I guess, notification uh, of where things are and when something was there once and then all of a sudden you look up and it's gone are we supposed to just you know go read our favorite bit of uh, legislation to see if it's still there today or maybe it's moved and this is generally how we find it but we go looking for something and we go oh it's not here anymore all right well where the hell's it gone now casa do try and put out change documents uh indicate where bits of uh, information previously were with deleted bars and all that sort of thing. Um, they will show where the old documentation was, where it may have moved to now, or a piece of legislation that's no longer in uh, active use. 
and it's just disappeared altogether. And that can be hard because, again, how do you know when to go and find that? And I don't have that answer for you. I'm a subscriber to the majority of the CASA mailing lists uh, as a flight examiner, as an instructor, as a flying school operator, uh, engineering uh release notes, uh, charter ones, all that, you can subscribe to those on the CASA website. The problem is they don't seem to get used very much. Um, I, I even know just doing a flight test and then realise that certain elements are changed and no longer on there. And I'm like, well, who told me that? Well, I didn't get an email about it. So it makes it very, very difficult and I think for many frustrating. If you're in a commercial operation at least you're sort of doing this stuff all the time, but from a private pilot perspective, it can be just almost too much. And I know a lot of people have given up flying because of it, which is just a devastating, uh, yeah, it's devastating. It's a tragedy, but we don't want that. So what I want to try and do today is give you a bit of background on how it all works. I'm not going to do a law degree or anything like that, but just a bit of an idea of the overall structure and how it works. Um, there are some really good documents available and funnily enough, there is a section on the CASA website which I've pulled a lot of this from. Um, there's also an advisory circular which is, uh, oh, I'll get into it in a minute. <laughs> but CASA is starting to put a heap of these out now which do go to try and explain how it all works. So you do have to read more to understand a little bit but I do think uh, for a lot of people you might find that quite useful. And, again, you don't have to read everything, but skim through it. So, as always, I will put these links in the episode descriptions for you and you'll be able to find all of that there until that changes as well. <laughs> all right. So where are we up to? Let's have a look at the laws that govern CASA. So CASA essentially is our legislative body and... Their primary function is to conduct the safety regulation of the civil air services in, uh, well, civil air operations in the Australian Territory. Operations outside the Australian Territory in Australian aircraft as well. All right. So Section 9 of the Act states CASA's functions and some of the means which to use, and the AC goes on to describe that they're there to develop and promulgate appropriate, clear and concise aviation safety standards, issuing of licences and ratings, um, surveillance activities, keep an eye on everybody, and develop enforcement strategies to ensure compliance with aviation safety standards. The laws that govern CASA, there's two. There's primary legislation and delegated legislation. All right, so essentially we're working a three-tier system. So I've got the Civil Aviation Act of 1988 and the Airspace Act, Airspace Act of 2007. Following that, there's the Civil Aviation Regulations of 1988 that is moving across into the CASRs or the Civil Aviation Safety Regulations of 1998 and the Airspace Regulations of 2007. And then following on from that, we have the Manual of Standards, the Civil Aviation Orders and various other legislative instruments. All right. So that is what's basically done and trying to now come more into alignment with the rules from the International Civil Aviation Organization, otherwise known as ICAO. So that's what we're doing at the moment. And if you're familiar with the American system, part this, part that, they're already doing all that. And 
we're trying to mimic the same thing. Some will argue we've overdone it and ours is far too uh, fattened up and, and, and too much detail. Our Part 61, for example, is just too thick. There's too much in there, too much info. Um, look, we operate in Australia, so I'm not going to worry about what everyone else is doing because this is the system we've got to work with. All right, so the primary legislation refers to laws passed by Parliament, and this includes the Civil Aviation Act and the Airspace Act, as I mentioned. And that goes through the member for inf- or the Minister for Infrastructure, the Transport and Regional Development is responsible for the CAA and the Airspace Act. So anytime anything wants to get changed, it needs to go through Cabinet or the Prime Minister's approval, gets passed through Parliament, and then the Governor-General is basically the final desk point where it sits there and gets passed. And this is why when you see simple things and you go, why why is this still here? Why hasn't this been fixed yet? Well, it's got to get in the queue, I guess, and if it's not that important, it takes time. So after that, we've got the delegated legislation, and that's where the CASRs, the CAOs, the MOS, uh, airworthiness directives for aircraft maintenance and various other instruments that come out as well. And that's our Australian Technical Standard Orders. Uh, If you know about GPSs, you might have heard of a TSO 129 or 146 GPS. That's the American system. We do have an Australian Technical Standard Order or an ATSO, but it doesn't get really... Um, well, it doesn't get used very often because it's better to go an international acceptance of a TSO approval than uh, the Australian one. All right, so that's where all the rules come from. What else do we have? Well, just a little sidestep. We do have Air Services Australia and we do have the AIP. In the AIP, we have the URSA, the AIP book, the en route and the general, uh, the charts and, and plates, all that sort of stuff that we we have as well. And Air Services uh, approval is basically under the Air Services Act of 1995. And that part of that requirement is that Air Services Australia is uh, responsible to provide safe, secure, efficient air navigation and aeronautical information, aviation communications, radio navigation aids, and the rescue firefighting services to aviation industry. So everything in the AIP, the Earth, so that sort of stuff is uh, law and, and is regulated. So we do need to follow that sort of thing. I know some people feel that there is no legislation that gives that legal standing, but there is. The other one is the ATSB, and uh, we've also, got, of course, got the Bureau of Meteorology. Don't say bomb. All right, and they operate under the authority of the meteorological. See, this is why no one says meteorological, meteorology. You can't say it. The MET Act. How's that? The Meteorology Act of 1955. Maybe we need to get and have a bit of a look at that one, hey? Looks a bit out of date to me. So the bomb, there you go. It's in there. I'm allowed to say it. Well, the Bureau is Australia's National Weather, Climate and Water Agency, and they are obviously there to provide all the weather services for the Australian Antarctic Territory and our uh, TAFs and our METARs and species, SIGMETs, all that sort of thing as well. So everyone is operating under uh, various acts that give them authority to do what they do. All right, so that took a fair bit just to go through the overall structure. Let's have a look at the individual documents now and how, how it all works. So as far as regulations go, you will hear some people say the regs. But the specific regs are the CASR, 
and the CAR, all right? So again, the CASR is the safety, sorry, the Civil Aviation Safety Regulations and the Civil Aviation Regulations, which are gradually going to get replaced. So they set out required safety standards for things like airworthiness, licenses and ratings for flight crew and maintenance personnel, air traffic control, rules of the air, dangerous goods, and other aviation safety issues. So in the CASRs, there's, this is the regulatory structure. So it represents all the current and proposed part numbers that make up the CASR. And there are parts still outstanding. Um, they haven't all been created yet. All right. Now, what ex helps explain the CASR is the MOS, or the Manual of Standards. So the MOS contains technical material and requirements. So they include... Uh, specifications and applications to complement the CASR requirements. So it's a much more expansive. If you look at the CASR, it doesn't really tell you a whole lot. They're sort of more dot point sort of facts, whereas the MOS goes and tells you all the good guff. It's almost like the explanatory document. All right, and they contain standards authorised by particular regulations. The CAOs gradually disappearing. All right, there's still some there, um, but they're gradually getting replaced. So they contain technical detail and requirements to complement those things found in the CAR, again, because they're the two older documents. You then got airworthiness directives or ADs. So airworthiness directives come from types of aircraft or aeronautical products when an unsafe condition exists um, or could be an aeronautical product. It's possible that it's likely to exist in an aircraft or an aeronautical product, and it could develop an aircraft. Um, so you may know from uh, accident reports from ATSB that a particular part is found to be faulty, and it might be that the aircraft is about 10,000 hours and they've noticed a uh, similar other aircraft of well, however many hours, this problem is starting to occur. They put out an airworthiness directive, and that will... Uh, get sent out to all operators of that aircraft that they need to go and look at and expect these things. All right, so that's what ADs are. All right, then the other thing we have is advisory circulars. So they need to be read in conjunction with the reference CASR or Associated MOS section. And these are kind of the new CAP. So the CAP was the Civil Aviation Advisory Publications. And a lot of the material you'll find, a lot of caps have been disappearing and they've been changing to these advisory circulars. So they're still very much the same thing. Um, they're, they're interpretive and explanatory guidance, um, but they are, they're not law exactly, but they're given or they're issued by the, the, the regulatory body. So you've got to have a very good reason sort of not to be you know following that guidance. But there are some very good ones out there. And if you have a look on the advisory circular page, you'll see topics, uh, all, oh, just all sorts of stuff. And especially for instructors, very, very handy material there. So I definitely recommend you have a look at it. All right. So let's have a closer look now at the newer section again in part 91, part 91 and how things expand from that. I, th I think everyone's pretty happy with Part 61 now that this is the licensing ratings, uh, all the endorsements and stuff. And from that, you then go through either an individual instructor or a Part 141142 provider um, and for ground crew training for like AROCs and 
Gelp and all that sort of stuff, Part 64 stuff. From the licensing side of things, Part 91 expands out into a whole heap of operations. Now, 101 is drones, uh, unmanned aerial vehicles, if uh, that's your thing. But the main ones I want to have a look at is Part 121 and 135. Now, before I get to that, just understand Part 91 is the legislation that applies to everybody. It's like the base benchmark. So anything to do with um, all the rules and legislation, Part 91 is the base. Then on top of that, depending on what operation you're working in, is then where you'll come in to have a look at uh, charter operations or airline level. So small charter operations is now passenger carrying transport, and that all falls under Part 135. Now, I know there's some cases of people working in these operations and had no clue, all right? So it's imperative that if you're going to be a charter pilot and you're going to be working for a charter operator, a passenger carrying transport operator on the low small-scale aircraft, then this is the legislation you're now, or the regulations rather, that you're now working under. So it's imperative that you actually have a read and go through it. Don't rely on your chief pilot or your head of flying operations to tell you. Again, this is where all these new terms are coming from. We used to call them chief pilots. Now they're head of uh, flying operations. For a flight school like myself, I'm a head of operations, not a hofo. Okay, so I'm a who, all these different terms. 121 is big airplanes, big charter, big passenger carrying transport. So your typical airline level, all right? Well, let's have a look at 135. This is what you're going to be operating under as a charter pilot. There's a whole heap in there, and I'm not going to cover all that now um, because I just can't. But it will talk about things like life jackets. If you look at Part 91, it supersedes what's required because, hey, you've got more people on board, safety is more paramount. Okay. If you want to have a look at the requirements of carrying ELTs and EPIRBs, this is all going to change soon. How do I know? Well, because it tells me here. Who remembers 20.7.4? All of that change is all listed in here. It's replaced the CAO. All right, so have a good look at these sections and I can go through some of the changes of that in a future episode. There's a few bits there in 135 that I want to uh, talk about and, and, and mention. Even looking at uh, passenger carrying transport stuff now that we've got standard weights, things like um, male weight and female weight, but now we've got non-gender specific. So what weight do you put for that? Well, CAS has come to the rescue and we've got a table for all that now. But all the things that we need to think about, all these different changes, if you don't know about them, you're going to be ineffective in your job all right? and potentially non-compliant, even worse. All right. Overarching that, then we've got part 119. So coming up in March this year, the what used to happen was you would do a 12-monthly check with your chief pilot. Now it's going to be a bit more of a structured uh, check and training process like larger operators again. So you probably get the theme here that everyone's kind of been made to operate like an RPT sort of operation. It's just split up into big airplanes and little airplanes. So every... 12 months, you'll be doing an operator proficiency check or an OPC, right? Now, this is a pass-fail thing. So you, your job is on the line. Again, I've mentioned this before, and it's not a threat, but you do need to lift your game a bit. You do need to be familiar with these rules and regulations. It's You're a commercial pilot, 
So you're expected to keep up with the changes and educate yourself. Don't sit there relying on your chief pilot or your head of flying operations, should use the proper terms now. Uh, but, yeah, don't rely on your HOFO to tell you everything. All right? This is up to you to be aware of, so you can use this podcast as a resource because I'll try and keep you up to date with things. Um, but, again, I'm not a subscription service. It's not necessarily going to be a timely notification of when you need to know things. So for, for what it's worth, get on the CASA website and subscribe to the relevant mailing list so when they do send things out, at least you can find out. The main uh, email that goes out every month is, is pretty good because most things are mentioned in that at least, and that will give you a pretty good idea of what's happening. All right, so 119 is coming into effect soon and everyone will start to roll onto that. You'll send, have a, a head of training and checking a person in your in your role, you'll have other checkers and trainers coming in to do things. You'll do aircraft questionnaires to keep up to speed on your flights. Uh, same sort of things you used to do in your 2011 checks with emergency procedures and drills. That'll all form part of this overall assessment uh, to make sure you're up to speed and, and good to go with the, the job that you're doing. All right, so heaps there. I will go into all that in more detail soon as i said i'll go into part 135 and 119 especially once it gets going the reason why i haven't spoken about it much more than what i already have is because it's still taking shape uh, there could be some changes and i'd rather wait till we see it in action and uh, how it's all going to form up before we uh, discuss it in more detail but that would definitely be something coming into play uh, sometime in march hopefully um, when we see how it all comes to to play Alrighty, heaps of info there. I hope that sort of makes sense. Like I said, have another listen to it if you need to. Go to the uh, relevant uh, links that I set. I'll put in the description and have a bit of a read in your own time as well. And any questions, feel free to hit me up. You can send me an email, info at trentrobinsonaviation.com.au. You can also look up Trent Robinson Aviation on Facebook or Instagram. Links are all in the episode description below and you can follow me there as well. All right, guys, until next time, blue skies and remember the golden rule. Aviate, navigate, communicate. Cheers, everyone. Cheers.